When I was a kid, I used to dream what it would be like to, to live somewhere far away from Hell's Kitchen. Somewhere beautiful. I realized that the city was a part of me, that it was in my blood. I would do anything to make it a better place. If he had an iron suit or a magic hammer, maybe that would explain why you keep getting your asses handed to you. Welcome back to Defenders TV Podcast, the podcast about the Marvel Netflix shows Daredevil, a.k.a. Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and The Iron Fist, all leading to the miniseries The Defenders. This episode is discussing Daredevil Episode 9, Speak of the Devil. I'm one of your hosts, John, who also happens to be The Iron Fist. I'm Irene, The Unbreakable Cage. I'm Chris, a.k.a. Jessica Jones, but only on the weekends. And I'm Derek, your lawyer by day, defender by night. Welcome. Yeah, so I think last episode, I actually didn't even say my name. Um, <laughs> I was just the Iron Fist. I was my alter ego. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's John, right? John. Yeah, it is. I, oh, I thought it was Danny, Danny Rand. No, it could okay. be Danny Rand. Or oh, I may have been Misty Knight <laughs> there on, yourself, a, on a Friday. So many people do it before. Yeah, and I could have been Misty Knight on a Friday. Yeah, exactly. Um... But welcome everyone, and this week we have got some feedback to give, which we'll be giving at the end of our review of this episode of Daredevil. Speak of the Devil, um, any initial thoughts? This was an excellent episode. Yeah. Excellent, excellent episode, I must say. Jam-packed. The podcast will be about five hours long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had some uh, some epic podcasting last week with our coverage of, uh, of Age of Ultron, which is about two and a half hours, almost as long as the film itself. Yeah. Uh, we also did about an hour and a half coverage of episode eight of, uh, of Daredevil as well, so I hope you enjoyed both of those. If you haven't seen Age of Ultron, watch it. And then come back and listen to our podcast and let us know your thoughts. Uh, you can get that at defenderstvpodcast.com slash iTunes. We'll take you through to the link and listen to the podcast. Really good fun chat with all four of us for that one. Yes. Um, and remember, you can uh, listen to us um, on defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. Uh, you can also check us out on Stitcher, Player FM or any other good podcast catcher. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. Um, and of course, Interact with us on Twitter or Facebook. On Twitter, we are at DefendersCast. And on Facebook, search Defenders TV Podcast. You can also send in feedback at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com as well. I think with that, we get on to our review of Daredevil Episode 9, Speak of the Devil. Yep, this episode was written by Chris Doss and Ruth Gage, a husband and wife partnership who write lots of comic books as well. They do things like the... Buffy, uh, the Vampire Slayer series of comic books, which are getting great praise out there. Um, really good series of comics, if you want to go and read those. Uh, this is directed by Nelson McCormick um, for this episode, his first episode of Daredevil uh, that he's done. So, John, do you want to kick us off with your synopsis for this episode? Yeah. Um, Daredevil, episode nine, Speak of the Devil. Wilson Fisk gets the upper hand in more ways than one as he looks increasingly untouchable, neutering Uric, Karen and Foggy's investigation as he increasingly appears to be the saviour for his city. 
Matt also finds it hard to reconcile his views on the criminal fisc and his public image as he seeks answers from his Catholic upbringing and Father Lantern. However, other plans are put into motion by Fisk and Nobu to draw out the mass vigilante from hiding in a final attempt to finish off the man in the mask. With an innocent bystander fatally drawn into their plans, Daredevil comes out of hiding and to confront his bases, leading to a very red and bloody battle between two worthy adversaries. Well done on the synopsis on that one, John. That's a, it's a big episode. Tons going on in yeah. this episode. Uh, we will cover it as we normally do in our top five points as we go along. But yeah, there's so much stuff going on. did you actually cut it down to that at all? I don't know. It took me five hours. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, Irene, do you want to kick us off with your first point about this episode? Foggy is a really aggressive Daily Mail reader in this episode. <laughs> he gives out to Matt for not answering his phone. He mm-hmm. comes in with this little swagger. It's like, that's like a different person. Yeah. He's like, do you want to answer your phone there, chap, when I'm looking for you? Like, Because <laughs> he says he's worried about him falling down a manhole, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, like, Matt's like perfectly self-sufficient. Yeah. I don't know, I was going, that's a bit out of the blue. Yeah. But at, by the end of the episode, I was happy to see he's been completely humbled. Uh-huh. And he's it's a different person. Yeah. But maybe it was there for the contrast, like I don't Yeah, probably. Yeah. He uh he definitely has, has a some a serious arc in this episode, much more than we've seen in the past. He's generally been the I suppose the sense of humour for a lot of the episodes. He's had the humorous comments in the background. Yeah, he wasn't so much the light relief this time. Absolutely not. Yeah. No, um it definitely had a bit of a, a hit to his confidence, I'd say, in this in this yeah. particular episode with what goes on. Definitely. I think what they're trying to do in this episode is really so We've had Foggy and Karen, as we've kind of talked about, the comic relief mm-hmm. with hints of deeper and darker demons that they're both facing. Mm-hmm. So obviously Foggy with a bit of kind of alcoholism and then Karen with her the hints at her sordid past. Mm-hmm. But we get there the laugh. They're, they're, they're that Josh Whedon-esque kind of rib tickler right. at a very in, impromptu or in kind of moment when you're not you don't think you're going to laugh yeah but Foggy Nelson's an integral part of the Daredevil story and it was one thing I've the more and more I was watching this I was going okay so now they're turning they were, it's almost like almost a U-turn nearly mm. which is like oh no no we need to make Foggy a bit more serious right because in the comic books Foggy has been with Matt, and we've hint- they've hinted at it that they've been around since they both kind of grew up in Hell's Kitchen. Yeah. Now, in the comic books, they didn't know each other uh, until kind of before later college, in, before it? college. Yeah. Um, but I don't know whether they're going to keep that story in this. Mm. But I do think th- they're going to need to cut. They, they need to start this road, which is they need to flesh out this. They, it's almost like that. These two were the dynamic duo of the lawyer world. Mm, yeah, they. Yeah. And I, I know I'm using dynamic duo, <laughs> so I'm sorry. I know that's a DC reference. I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, we haven't seen that much. Yeah. Aside from where they've kind of talked about leaving the the high priced lawyer job that they wanted to save the world mm-hmm. one step at a time, Hell's Kitchen, but. Up to now, Foggy has been that the comic relief. Yeah, the light relief. Yeah, yeah he only wanted to be in the lawyer practice so he could have a fax machine and feel like he was a serious lawyer, lawyer yeah. which yeah. seems like that wouldn't lead to you feeling like a serious lawyer. Yeah. But again, yeah, so it's funny. And yeah. then he's like looking at the fax machine like it's his new best friend. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. And you're going, oh, he's the kind of, oh. Yeah, he's the yeah. funny character. But not in this, I didn't think. In this episode, he wasn't. No. No, it seems as though like that 
baseball swing to the mugger's head seemed to really have transformed him into pumping his confidence up. Yeah. That he kind of is slightly and has been sort of drawn in Matt Murdock's shadow slightly and leading up till now. And then all of a sudden, yeah, you, you see him telling Matt what to do. He, he's much more forceful, much more kind of full of confidence. And it's a definite um, uh, change in his personality compared to um, previously. Um, and then, unfortunately, it all seems to get unraveled with, um, obviously, Mrs. Cardenas. Yeah. Poor Mrs. Cardenas. Um She's a victim of him and Karen's stupidity, I think. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> and they're def- overconfidence anyway. Oh, definitely, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like they feel safe in their sort of threesome um, in the office. So I've hit one person with a baseball <laughs> bat. You, so you should stand up to the landlord who's offering you twice as much now. You definitely shouldn't take that. Definitely not. Go and change your neighbour's minds. Yeah. Bye bye, very old lady. I know, I know, and, and to your to your point of him of, of Foggy being much more of a Daily Mail reader in this episode, I do like when Ben Urich comes in and gives the explanation of Daredevil speaking to him about uh, about Fisk, and yeah. Foggy instantly off the cuff just says, "Oh, that's cocktail. exactly." So it's instantly he's been convinced about the vigilante from the press he's read, regardless of the fact that he's talking to Ben Urich, who's got yeah. all the facts. In I front really of like him. that that Ben was, Ben was like, "Well, no, actually, this guy's trying to help." Like, and... yeah. And Karen, Karen obviously, is saying, yeah, defensive. <laughs> he, yeah, it was fine. He was very good to me. Like, yeah, yeah. I think like it kind of comes into one of the points that I want to raise actually, which is that I had the three Fs and um, the the feel for Foggy mm-hmm. because it it's that flip side of what you've just said, Irene, which is all of a sudden he goes from being really confident and and then. He's at the wake for uh, Mrs. Cardenas in the pub with Matt and and Karen. Mm. And he kind of unravels in himself, obviously aided by a bit of uh, whiskey. But um, I just really felt for him when he, that realisation that he does a really nice little speech about, you know, he he wanted to help people um, and that he should have been telling Mrs. Cardenas to take this huge amount of money that this that's just been offered by yeah. Fisk. Yeah. Because then she could move into a, another tenement somewhere, you know, probably with um much better quality, and yeah. um, new sofa, new kitchen or maybe, whatever. And maybe instead, a security guard. Yeah. yeah, maybe a security guard. And but now she's dead. And I really kind of thought I, I felt really sort of sorry for Foggy at that moment because yeah. um yeah his his kind of overconfidence and, and maybe slightly bordering on arrogance mm-hmm. sort of had led in his mind to Mrs. Cardenas' death. I know Karen kept saying, but it's Fisk and I, I liked her kind of interjection anyway. Yeah. And that she she came to sort of to say it was quite ominous as well that we'll make them pay and people like Fisk who sort of manipulate everything to, to make it look as though it's other people who are so to I, I found that yeah. really annoying. I found that really annoying that she, at least Foggy, okay, it's, it's I think, it, no less silly, right? But, or short-sighted at least. Yeah. He didn't think it through properly, maybe. Or he wasn't capable because he was all fired up and he could do this. Then yeah. I'm going to do this. Yeah. We're going to do this. You can do this too. <laughs> and then, but Karen never gets there. Like, even at the wake, she's still not really taking responsibility mm-hmm. for she was just as much to blame as him and when Matt was saying you know hang on a minute like maybe she shouldn't have done that yeah 
the two of them are just blind and then at the wake she's still blaming somebody so that, else. So that's a good question. Do you think that they are to blame for Cartagena's death? They're part of it, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because she came to them for help, but they could have yeah. talked her out of out of pursuing it. Yeah. I think she probably had that idea in her head already that she was going to talk to her neighbours and her neighbours wanted to take the offer though, she was saying. Right. That, that's not how I took it, just purely because of, and I'm sure we'll talk about this very deeply in one of our points later on, but the conversation that Matt has later on in the episode with Nobu and with um, and with Wilson Fisk points out the fact they killed Miss Cartagena to draw out the man in the mask. Oh yeah, but and for so, Karen and Foggy don't know that though. Like you think if you were thinking it through, yeah. you would say we're absolutely partly to blame because yeah. we sent her back there. Like they didn't even go with her. Yeah, no, I do. I do take that point. I do take that point. I definitely take that point. But they aren't to blame, and they know that there is that there is Fisk out there. They do know that he is the person that arranged her death, um, and killed her. They know that. Yes, okay, they had the contributing factor of having her in the building at that time, but he would have gotten to her some other way because he wanted to do that to clear her out of the apartment. Um, but do you I, think Karen's I, right. Karen's right. She she shouldn't feel see, bad. She shouldn't. More that I think Foggy's wrong for blaming. So. I okay. I kind of think that they would have found any motivation, and they could have been um, to get Claire Temple. It could have even been to um, to get other they people just that to have provoke been. Him, like, yeah, they yeah. needed to provoke him because they don't know that he's invested in uh, Mrs. Cardenas, and mm. um, it's just simply someone at the right moment, at the right time. And that's because she didn't take the offer. Okay. I think they could have picked anyone else who was vulnerable. It's just purely because outside of that world, then Mrs. Cardenas is a client of Foggy, of Nelson and Foggy, mm-hmm. attorneys at law. Um, well, Matt but, but, says to yeah. Fisk in the gallery, like, exactly. we're on opposite sides of a tendency yeah. case at the moment. Yeah. Now, the only thing I would say is in that gallery scene, and I'm expanding it now so far on, on, much, on this point, but it's kind of in my notes. I did actually put does Fisk have some kind of um, spotlight go off in, and light bulb go off in his head when he meets mm. Matt in I the gallery? So. Because so. there's a lot of facial expressions that um, D'Onofrio is doing there as Wilson Fisk, which makes me seem that he's suspicious of. Yeah of Matt Murdock there for some reason. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm not saying he did, but it I kind of did a question mark. Yeah, I thought the same thing. There was yeah. a lot of suspicion. It could have just been to do with that case. And maybe that's what... Um, maybe that's why he then thought about killing someone or or um, in in the tenement seat to, to do that. But I just felt that Fisk doesn't know that Matt Murdock... Te- necessarily is Daredevil. He doesn't know that the, then there's that connection with Miss Cardenas. To me, that's just they picked her because she was actually the one stoking trouble. Get rid of her. It's two birds with one stone kind of thing and um, because they make it look like an accident as um, Foggy and Karen say the whole way that Tully was trying to get um, them out of the building was to say that it wasn't safe structurally, but also with all the drug runners and, and so on within mm-hmm. that building. Yeah. And they just used that in a way to get rid of Mrs. Cardenas. So yeah. I, I still don't know. For us as an audience, we know, but I think for them as characters within that show, those connections haven't necessarily been built. And that's why I think for Karen, it's almost ideological now, her pursuit of 
I just face. think I think it's just further proof of how foolhardy she is. Right. Like, yeah. I, that's maybe it's just me. I, I, I just right. I think if uh, she should have. Maybe not blaming herself necessarily, like for the death. But mm. do you think you would go? Really, really, we shouldn't have. Yeah, you're right, Foggy. Yeah. Really, shouldn't have. I, I think as lawyers, their interests should always be for the best the of their clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for and me, they weren't. They're they were using you, her. Yeah, they're themselves. using. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they, no, I, I would say they made a mistake. Definitely, um, that's absolutely right. But if you've got a friend of yours who's in a bar and clearly has drank an entire bottle of whiskey and is blaming themselves for the death of someone, which they didn't pull the trigger, they didn't stab her, they didn't actually kill her. Um, you absolutely would need to talk them down off the ledge. And I think that's maybe what Karen's doing here. I don't think it's fair that Foggy blames himself for her death. As I said, he's not the one that killed her. So, um, But if he if he's starting to go into that spiral and Karen's there with him and saying, well, actually, maybe you need to calm down. You, It wasn't your fault. You weren't to blame for this. The only person to blame is Wilson Fisk, which is what I think she's trying to do. I don't think he's taking sole blame, and I think Iron said this. It, he's saying he understands his part and maybe how that situation right. developed, and I think that's all we're saying here. We're not saying that Foggy killed Mrs. Cardenas. Mm. But by the end of the episode, by the end of the bottle, maybe, mm-hmm. he has come back around to, we've got to keep going. We have to keep pushing back against people like this. And so that didn't last long, did it? Like... <laughs> uh, alcohol, a great leveler of thoughts, definitely. Um, Chris, do you want to take us off with your with your first point? Okay, it's not Daredevil without ninjas. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> I'm going straight for it. It's going. I'm going straight for the middle of it. The, the episode did so. You might as well. <laughs> that isn't just any ninja that Daredevil's facing mm-hmm. in that opening. Um, I could officially. I think we can officially say this is. The first view of the hand. That's right. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the uh, central villain in a lot of uh, a lot of Daredevil comic books is uh, is the ninja group of the hand who dress in red and uh, and attack him and kick around the place quite a lot. So. Oh, quite a lot. <laughs> um, I think we can extrapolate that Kingpin does say your organization quite a lot. Mm-hmm. So does this mean that uh, Nobu was one of the heads of the? The, the hand, I, I'm not sure, mm. possibly. that We can get into that in a slightly bit more. But um, the reason I like this is the hand were created in, what, 1981? Right. In the Daredevil comics by none other than Frank Miller. Mm-hmm. So he this is another... They, they, they're leaning heavily on Frank Miller's kind of style, his kind of overall approach to yeah, Daredevil. Definitely. Um, because Daredevil was... Daredevil... Daredevil is a superhero. Mm-hmm. We can we can say that. He but he's not hugely superpowered. He's not a Thor. Yep. He's not a Captain America. Mm-hmm. He lives in the same universe. And in a lot of the comic books, and this is how I was I, I was always going to be slightly confuzzled, if you want to put it that way. <laughs> confuzzled. <laughs> I would never have put it that way. <laughs> um, I'm bedazzled. <laughs> By your confuzzlement. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, if we know, if we think logically, and especially after seeing Ultron last week, mm-hmm. how was Daredevil going to fit into this universe yeah, yeah. of super, super powered heroes? Mm-hmm. He is literally a man who can see in the dark with, with Vader mm-hmm. to a degree. Yeah. He doesn't have super healing. He's not a super strength. Yeah. Like, like, the Hulk could flick his head and he would it would fly off. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> that was an interesting. Yeah, image, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Even, so, that, but like, so there was nothing. I couldn't understand how they were going to put it up against him against these other ones. But at least now they brought in the hand. Mm-hmm. You have his Hydra. Yeah. Now yeah. we know there's ties to Hydra and the hand in the comic books mm. quite 
secular ties and that they've they've been in bed together for quite a while. Yeah. The hand were almost like a secret ninja assassins for Four. Hydra. Yeah. Um uh, but I don't I don't think that's gonna come down the line. Yeah. I think it's way too early in the MCU or if at all mm-hmm. they'll introduce that tie. Yeah. Um but I think this is this is good. They've introduced his Hydra. His his big villain. His big villain. Yeah, I think one of the one of the elements that stood out for me this this is kind of the second time they've expanded the universe beyond Hell's Kitchen. Really, for for Daredevil, this was very much when we heard about the show originally. We'd heard that it was going to be you know a street level piece. Um, it was much more focused on the neighborhood of Hell's Kitchen and Daredevil protecting that neighborhood from Wilson Fisk. Essentially, um, we've had two elements now. So a couple of, couple of episodes ago, we talked about the uh, press coverage of Daredevil, which is which is launching the man in the mask as a vigilante across all of America now. It's being covered on national news. So he's no longer just focused within the Hell's Kitchen. And now you have some of the villains uh, from other countries are now coming in to take uh, to take the fight to Daredevil now as well. So it's starting to show much more connections to the wider world of, uh, of what Daredevil can expand out to. So it's not going to be just focused on Hell's Kitchen, which I think is cool, uh, definitely. Yeah, um, I think they... they... They actually did one as well, which is when they introduced the cast. Mm-hmm. For listeners who don't uh, know the comics, uh, we've met Stick. Mm-hmm. We've 99.9% met Stone. Yep. And they are the the yin to the Hans Yang. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are known as the cast. Yep. And they are blind uber ninjas who fight the evil Uber ninjas of the hand, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I like saying Uber, Uber ninjas. ninjas. Of course, Uber do. ninjas. Absolutely, I like up, Uber ninjas. Yeah. Grew up on ninjas, definitely. Um, um, I do like that Nobu calls out the fact that again the, the references to the hand. Nobu calls it out in the fight with Fog. Oh, sorry, Foggy. <laughs> that would be cool. that would be amazing. Not a fight with Foggy. With a baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he calls it out in the fight with uh, with Mass, where he says, um, where he says, "You know our ways really well." Um, essentially, Stick has trained him in the battle against the hand he's trained them how they use uh, how they slow their heart rate how they uh, how they can hide um how they how they how you can find them when they're using all of their tricks essentially so it is absolutely calling out that the hand is in play here um nobody's referenced before that uh, that he represents a group um, many times he's never said he's the leader so I, uh, we may get that yeah actually we may not get that no. uh, mentioned in future unfortunately for poor Nobu but uh, but yeah no I t- totally agree with you great to see the hand in here and great to see that they're expanding it out into that side of Daredevil's universe now. yeah and the, the, that actually kind of ties sorry and I'm going to use up point number two here oh, go on. when the hand die in the comic books they mm. don't really die okay they turn to ash so interesting. That's quite by lighting a fire, mm-hmm. they, they, this is where we see now. He will it, certainly turn to ash yeah, after that fire. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of flame there. So in the comic books, the hands leader is Kigiri, right? Um, and he is the the uber king ninja. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm still kind of positive that uh, Nobu is Kigiri. Okay. Now, there's two. One, if they're going to bring in that, they brought in parts of the magical element with Black Sky mm-hmm. um, and especially maybe. Yeah. well maybe yeah. and we know that magic is going to come into this with Doctor Strange and mm-hmm. it's going to come in with um, 
<laughs> Anytime yes. I mention yes, it Doctor will. Strange, It'd be like Paul Daniels. <laughs> just, just remember, if you didn't hear what we talked about last week, make sure you send anything about Doctor Strange to John at DefendersTVPodcast.com. <laughs> he wants to read anything that you have uh, connected to Doctor Strange. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, so either they're saving Kagiri for season two, mm-hmm. and he will be the new big bad, potentially, yeah. or there Nobu will rise from the ashes, right. per se. Um, and that's when we're I think we're going to get a lot more in season two we're going to get a lot more of the magical element mm. because by then hopefully we'll have had aka Jessica Jones probably some more introductions to the world of Iron Fist and Danny Rand and mm-hmm. Kung Lung and that brings in more magic yeah. elements so I think they they can start it now which so this is the first seeds yeah 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 no, no I'm, I'm really intrigued it's a good little kickoff and so we're saying that Nobu as well isn't dead, that he could rise back up from the ashes because it's just like, I loved um, sort of that twist within a twist where uh, Fisk says, um, you know, let him burn. So Fisk kind of thinks he's out of the way. Um, yeah. And it would be really, that would be really interesting if maybe, you know, as he's um, on fire, he's kind of maybe overheard that, <laughs> comes back to life, knows that Maybe there was a, a double cross there from Fisk and, and see how that works. That could yeah. be really kind of interesting for a, a season two I'm not um, sure. development. It, yeah, I'm, it probably I'm, I'm won't. not sure. I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that they don't do that, um, particularly because the show has been very realistic and very grounded. So uh, doing something like that is quite a significant leap for the show. And I'm not too sure how it so will play out. back to life. Yeah, yeah. Well, but what they, about they... Iron Fist? I mean, you're going to have real trouble when Big Dragon's and the heart of uh, the dragon. Agreed, but in all <laughs> fairness, that's going to be the uh, that's going to be the responsibility of whoever creates that show. And I think they've created this show as been as being very grand level. It doesn't necessarily need to set up everything to do with all the other shows, but that could be it. Could be something they will do in season two and start bringing in some of the other elements to set up all the other shows. Well, perhaps, okay, perhaps then. Okay, rather than bringing someone actually back from ashes, mm-hmm. Nobu, if he comes back, will just be this um, horribly disfigured, mm. burned Deadpool. Deadpool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he will be Deadpool, a Deadpool like yeah. because the the whole thing is that the, you've been trained in our ways. We haven't been introduced to the additional kind of the the healing elements of the cast Mm. and their styles. So in the comic books, yes, Daredevil has a slightly accelerated healing because of these trainings and lowering his body, speeding up his metabolism and all that. So that possibly we won't grow new skin, Mm -hmm. but just having... Have, can you imagine having this charred, battle-scarred mm-hmm. Nobu in prosthetics? Yeah. Like, it just, like, you burn me. Yeah. Kind of coming back in season two. <laughs> yeah, I like, think that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I, I have to say, I love Peter Shikanda in this in this episode. I think he does a great job. And, and he is a top-level fighter in this episode. Yes. He does a brilliant job. And I think uh, it's great to see him in the cast. And it's unfortunate that we may not see him again. So I... Totally yeah. on your side. While I just don't, I don't think it might happen. I'd be delighted if it did. I think. So, Derek, give me your first point. Uh, my first point is actually just a, a very small point, but I think it's something we do need to reference. Um, we finally get to hear Wesley's real name in this episode. We get we get James Wesley uh, announced in this episode, which we have been calling him uh, Wesley Owen Welsh since uh, the first episode, based on uh, based on the Daredevil movie two thousand three film. Uh, there is a character called Wesley who is the right hand man of Wilson Fisk in that movie. 
so we had assumed that Wesley in this film was the same character. Uh, they were quite both kind of sleazy, both right-hand men who did everything for Fisk, so we just had made the assumption. But I thought it was interesting that uh, that Ben Eric does some investigation and finds out that it is, in fact, James Wesley, a completely different character. So, um, so we were wrong on that one. He's still Wesley to me, and it's nice to know his, uh, his first name, finally. <laughs> Hello, James Wesley. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to be working in a criminal empire, you probably don't want people... Well, Kingpin Fisk didn't want anyone knowing his name. That's right. So it could be that James Wesley isn't James Wesley. <laughs> it could be um, a moniker. moniker? A pseudonym. <laughs> a pseudonym. Yeah. pseudonym. Maybe, maybe. I, I trust uh, Ben Eric's uh, investigative skills, so uh, so I think I think he's right. It was also pointed out to us on Twitter by uh, by one of our listeners, Stephanie, that we uh, she was wondering why we were calling him uh, Wesley Owen Welch when that had never been said on the show. We had just made the assumption and uh, and made a leap back to the Daredevil film. So just wanted to point it out that it is in this episode that, that we get his uh, get his name. So a very small little point from me. Fodari, do you want to give us your next point? I had many a nightmare after. <laughs> story of Gahiji. Mm-hmm. I just thought that was really horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fascinating story. It's a good example of evil definitely exists. Yeah, yeah. This is um, this is Father Lantham yeah. talking to uh, talking to Matt and telling him the story of uh, of the protector in Rwanda. Rwanda, yeah, yeah. Uh, fa- fascinating story. I was, I was kind of happy for the breather in this episode, yeah. to be honest. Um, having a little slow moment of of exposition or discussion about. The opinions of, of of the priest and whether he believes the devil exists or not. I uh, thought it was a fascinating story, really well written uh, piece. And yeah, you're right. A bit, a bit uh, I believe there is a devil after that story as yeah. well. So if you if you'd seen that or experienced it, definitely. Yeah. He makes the point that well, in his experience, people like that always think that they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. They're not ne- sorry. I correct myself. Not necessarily the right thing. They always believe that their way is the right way. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, more than they believe they're doing the right thing, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This was great. I really liked the interaction between Matt and Father Lantern. Um, it was just nice to see, and I, I thought it what they chatted about just worked. It really worked. I think it could have really gone down, you know, maybe quite heavy Catholic route or religious route, and you hear that Father Lantern actually would go against what maybe the church had been saying previously about, you know, he brings up the idea that Satan in Hebrew just means adversary. It doesn't right. necessarily mean this big bad, yeah. like the devil, or, you know, he talks about how Lucifer, you know, once was an angel. It's not this blurred line between good and evil again. Yeah. And it's just really nice and balanced and rounded, their whole sort of chat. And it, he said it's not just always a single monstrous enemy. It's not like that. Like, yeah, it can't be just a man walking. Around. And he makes a mean latte as well. I mean, I, I, I kind of, I think I put in my notes, um, latte priest. It was kind of just like, yeah, it's just really nice little interaction, which I think works so well. And I was wondering how they were going to bring in those um, elements because in fairness, in the two thousand and three movie, I just thought it was so heavy handed. Yeah. It was really in your face. Just the the whole. Religious Catholicism, yeah, really heavy. I suppose that religion can be, but I mean, like this just touched it much lighter and and kind of much more sort of in the real world. I really liked it, sort of linking to Rwanda and stuff. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. more just morality without being entrenched in religion. Absolutely, and I know the character of Daredevil is entrenched in religion. There's the very definite Catholic values there. Um, but I like that how they've done this. My one big fear coming into the show was that we were going to have 
the each episode book ended with Matt sitting in a, a confessional box because saying what had like just that, happened yeah. and that it was going to be bookended the, the entire series every episode. So I'm glad that they've spread it out a bit. I'm glad that Father Lantham is an interesting character. I want to hear more from him. I want to see more interaction between the two characters. And again, as you say, Irene, that it's much more about morality rather than, well, the church says you should do this and why yeah. aren't you going? Why aren't you saying your prayers and why aren't you in confession every week for the things you've done? I like that there's a grey area and they talk about it. Yeah. yeah. I like that he was saying to Matt's very, seems to be very much the evil flourishes when good men do nothing so I have to kind of thing and the priest is saying to him do you have to though Mm -hmm. because if you do do something then aren't you evil yeah yeah he's trying to get him to see like you don't have to do what they're doing that's exactly what you're thinking you're doing absolutely yeah his uh, I think the line is uh, there's a, a huge spectrum between uh, inaction and murder. And murder, yeah. Which, where do you need to be on this? Where do you yeah. think you're going to be on this? Yeah, yeah like I loved that whole aspect that kind of linked into um, Matt's own doubts about whether he should even be going after Wilson Fisk, you know, and it's almost like this road to Damascus moment where he's like, well, maybe we are after the same things, but I think he's evil. But then he sees that someone, I, Vanessa, cares for him. There is a love interest there, and he cares back and and loves her back and that it's it's all fairly muddled in a sense it's not this clear-cut right and wrong yeah and and i I love how father anton talks about the poisoned fountain and that's a really nice analogy about how you know a good person that does evil it affects them and they fall just as much i thought that was really interesting Yeah. yeah And we also find out that Daredevil does not take sugar in his coffee. <laughs> Important. <laughs> too, sweet, too sweet. Too sweet. Yeah, yeah. I think he's just he's he's left Karen and Foggy where he's he's saying to them, "You don't have to, you don't have to keep doing this. Like mm-hmm. you're going to get hurt." And and then Ben says the same thing, and he's like, "This is what I keep telling them." Like, yeah. But and then when Father Lantham says to him, "What are you struggling with? Is it that you want to do it and you think you shouldn't, or that you don't really want to do it at all?" Yeah, yeah. Like, where are you? And there's silence. He doesn't. It's like he still doesn't know where he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. He's very good at telling Karen and Foggy, like you say, that they should be careful and so on. Yeah. But he's sort of struggling, battling with that. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. he knows better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then, Derek, what's um, your second point? Uh, my second one is about the trip to the gallery, uh, but very specific moments there, which is the painting that Vanessa points out to Matt, um, which I think is really interesting. It seems like Vanessa may have ha- have a hand in the creation of Daredevil's new costume. Um, she points out a red painting to him and describes the painting as being uh, being red, the colour of anger, but also the colour of love. Um, and it depends on how you look at it as as to as to what your definition of that painting was. It's also it's the color of rage, wasn't it? Um, plus the color of love. Um, I thought that was really interesting that the the guiding a blind man through uh, what a painting does for you and what art how art can make you feel. Um, and I love the interaction between these two characters. The first time the two of them have met, uh, Vanessa seems really intrigued with Matt, and uh, I like their I like the little playfulness about them. Um, I do feel the, that, that Wilson picks up on the fact that she's being playful with another man. I think that's, that's part of, I know you guys will talk about it in a second, but I think that's part of the reason why he's why his, uh, his facial expressions become a little bit confused or difficult mm-hmm. to read. But I think part of it is that she's being very playful with this good looking guy that's just walked in who's obviously has a couple of lines for a uh, for a woman of who's into her art but um but i thought it was a great scene 
and yeah, I'm wondering if it's leading into some of the creation of a new suit for Daredevil. Um, yeah. No, I, I love the contrast as well with this red with Fisk's white rabbit mm. in the snowstorm. And yeah, I think it, it connects back into, I think, like last episode where um, him and Wesley are sat down with Hoffman and he says, we want to see the facts as facts, not as we want to perceive them mm. and, and interpret them for, you know, in a positive spin. It's it's like the their, this is their yin and yang. Um, Fisk is a calculated person who deals in fact, and Matt is in a sense going after him and trying to defend his city because it enrages him how it, it's deteriorating to an extent. I mean, you get that a bit from Fisk, but that's almost like his mask that he pretends to be enraged and that, but he is really difficult with emotions anyway. Yeah, and so <clears throat> I, I I loved um this whole scene and a bit like yourself, Derek, I loved how they dealt with a blind man buying art. I even like the off-the-cuff remark, which is, you know, my friends f- find that my apartment's stark. You know, that's the reason why he's doing it, because um, otherwise it would seem a bit strange. But I, I just, it's a nice little meeting, and, and it's a great way of, as well, having the big sort of actual meet in person between uh, Matt Murdock and, and Fisk and see a lot of hand wrenching and fist clenching going on um, and it, it, Matt, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah and just then how Fisk is deals with him and as you said I hadn't really thought about how maybe Fisk would be interpreting Matt's behavior in relation to his, his um, partner now or his girlfriend or lady friend or whatever you want to say um, with Vanessa that maybe there's a hint of jealousy but again Vincent D'Onofrio does all these great sort of facial expressions that, that keeps you wondering what is he actually thinking what's going through his mind it's a great way of um, expressing it and he's done this a few times before and there's something about the way he does it that you just go he knows everything yeah. he knows that's Matt he knows Matt is Daredevil oh my god <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> exactly it's 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 really well done it's a great yeah. scene I think in, in the art gallery part of the element of the scene with Fisk that I like is that they're really dialing up the fact that he's a very political character he's he's trying to get into politics almost he's trying to tell Matt you know to it's almost like give me your vote is yeah, what it yeah. sounds like he's saying you know campaigning yeah exactly he's saying seeing this city to its fullest potential is very important to me is very much the it's a very like a politician's version of their belief it's, it's you know yeah. kiss the baby yeah, hand exactly. back to the camera turn and smile <laughs> exactly yeah because I, th- I thought that was a really hard sell all the way through this episode actually because mm-hmm. Fisk kind of, I think it's like three times that he sort of makes that whole sell of this is my city, I want to see it sort of, you know, uh, improve. These people are um, are bringing, you know, these types of people like the mass vigilante are bringing the city down. And I really thought this was a hard sell from Fisk all the way through this episode, actually. And you even had Wesley counting out the numbers, saying, you know, your demographics are getting better. Yeah. Uh, sorry, your numbers are getting better across all demographics uh, and all and all uh, cultural lines, essentially. So there's clearly something there. Wilson, Wilson is trying to take over the city. It might be by, by some political means as well. Yeah, and I, I think this is the whole point. It's, again, which is Wilson Fisk, he does believe he is making the city a better place. Mm-hmm. He just knows to do it through the mob way. Yeah, yeah. And so, but he needs to put a friendly face on front of it as well. Yeah. So he has to be the politician. He he won for office. Yeah. 
but while also being the head of the kingpin. Exactly. Um, maybe uh, okay. Obviously, it is just me then, because I, 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 when I was watching it, mm-hmm. I actually thought that all that spiel was for Vanessa's benefit. Really? And he was he was speaking to Matt, uh-huh. but I thought felt like he was looking at Matt, but he was really speaking to her. Right. And he was kind of going, "Don't I thought <laughs> it's just me, isn't it? I thought he was going, "Don't give me away here, Matt." Like, I'm doing all this for the benefit of the city, and and this is this is very much like this is my way of making the city a better place. Like, play like, along, don't play, play along, wink, like, wink. Yeah, you can't right. see me. Yeah. You're blind. Damn. The missus is here. She doesn't know what I'm really like. Interesting. A little they, bit. They, they do pull it out later on, where um, where the three of them are in Rosie's bar, and uh, and Wilson is on is on the TV screen. Uh, he's being interviewed on TV about the death of uh, of Miss Cardenas. Yeah. Uh, and Matt is told that Wilson sounds like he's like he truly means it, and Matt, with all of his abilities, essentially saying he he's does. Not, he, he does. does. Sound like he, he, he believes every single word he's saying here. He's conditioned himself in the firm belief that what he's doing is right for the city. Um, so that was the bit that they, that's, I think that's probably the only bit that made me go, okay, actually, no, I, I truly believe that Wilson thinks he's what he's doing is right here. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether it was just for Vanessa's benefit, but it, it's definitely a moment where, remember, she she calms him down and tells him to stop uh, trying to do that. Yeah, she's sell, like, he's so. not a donor. Like, yeah. yeah. Which is a good one there. And I'm going to completely bring this slightly all the way back to back your to point. to my point. Excellent. Where this started. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Look, with the, I think that scene is one of the pivotal moments, but I, I think we brought it up in episode one, two, three, four, mm-hmm. five. I think I've, I had to stop now. Um, <laughs> that like there, there has been reds and yellows, and especially more and more reds mm-hmm. throughout this season. So, I, I think that he doesn't know that Nobu was wearing red, mm-hmm. but probably some like. Some body in a red ninja seat would be found, yeah. and then there's this, which is it's the rage and love. And um, additionally, we know in the comic books, Melvin Potter makes his stuff, he's been knows that his name is the devil. So, again, there's elements like that, right? Um, I think the yeah, the, the red this is the 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 pivotal moment where he'll probably go I don't know what red looks like anymore but mm-hmm. but yeah. I've been told it's the colour of anger and rage and I'm kind of angry and rageful yeah. so, yeah. I'll go with that please Absolutely. So that wouldn't work for the Hulk it would just be green yeah 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 <laughs> I want a green suit I'm the green devil uh, there's a great moment during the week this week when someone asked the question of Stephen tonight that a lot of a lot of critics I guess are kind of jokingly asking which is how does Matt know the colour of his suit is black at night and he answered quite honestly just wanted to throw it out there he essentially says um, well he ordered it on the internet and he can read the internet and the internet says black so yeah so that's how he knows the colour of his suit he ordered a suit on the internet and knows what colour it is what's wrong with you people how did you not get it basically so I thought that was a really good point from, from Stephen tonight I was hoping it'd be polka dots how to mess with Daredevil when he's the man in black ordering black with Polka dot pink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on that, Iron, do you want to go on to your third point there? The conversation between Nobu and Fisk and Wesley, mm. um, where they're actually looking at the plans, and Nobu had very been working towards a definite plan in his head, and then Fisk is trying to make it sound like it was more fluid. He's like, well, yeah. we didn't mention a specific block. And he says, well, we're having problems with this one, so maybe you could move. And then I was going, is he? did he say that to get him to fix the Mrs. Cardenas problem? Right. But then it isn't. It's actually because he's saying we need to help with the masked man. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I had a question over, is there a specific reason why he wants that block? Yeah. Why nobody wants that block? Yeah. And has it not jumped out yet? It's like ley lines kind That's of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, You're exactly. going, I'm missing something, because yeah. it isn't... It isn't Mrs. Cardenas, obviously. No, it seems like this, the agreement was, for Nobu anyway, in Nobu's mind, as you say, is I'm getting this specific block in New if York. I if this. I just work with this guy, yeah. I'll do whatever he needs to get done as long as I get this specific block. And Fisk is going, well, this place down by the docks, which is much easier to get. Or we've got another block coming up pretty soon. Can yeah. you not just do that? Um, you know. Baby, baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, in the comic books... Um, are we going to spoil something that's going to happen later on in the season of this show by saying? This, I don't this? think so because we the the hand aren't the hand aren't fully introduced yet. Okay. But one of the reasons Hell's Kitchen is on this, um, magical kind of what would you call it, ley line spiritual center, mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the reasons they had one control of it. Interesting. interesting. Um, it's another reason why the where while we we'll get Danny Rand in there, mm-hmm. there's there's his Kung Lung mm-hmm. Kung Lung. Kung Loon? Kung Loon. Kung Loon. Yeah. Kung Loon. <laughs> that's the new, that's our new greeting. Kung Loon. Kung Loon. It's the, it, there's the, there's tie-ins there as well. Right. And I, the fact they've teased Black Sky, again, I, I keep coming back to all the comic book references and I apologise for our listeners. This is just, this episode was just Easter egg filled for Probably me and it made yeah. me think back to all these other comics I've read. It's going to be that, that block will come back. Right. Like, it's, what I was originally thinking was, oh, Terrigan Mists, the right. Inhumans, uh, a base of power underneath the foundations, mm-hmm. something, probably mm, not that, yeah. more probably there's a spiritual nexus, something it's very, it's underneath. Very interesting. It's very interesting, though, since the Terrigan Mist has been brought into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that could be another connection. Here. Yeah, but, it's but just... I'm, I'm so happy to hear that there is... There, that everybody feels the same that there is a definite reason why he wants that specific block and it's connected to the hand and what they want to do with the city of New York or what they want to do with the world essentially uh, I'm delighted about that thank you I thought it was realistic as well he's kind mm-hmm. of suspicious of Wilson yeah like it wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't be realistic if he was like okay yeah plan has changed Grant yeah he isn't he's very suspicious of him but uh- it- Fisk still manages to manipulate him yeah absolutely and I do like the line back from Fisk later on where he thanks daredevil for taking out nobu because he was starting to become a bit of a problem yeah (laughs) (laughs) which i thought was really good so again matt's actually just worked for wilson fisk yeah and as as well he just says um in a perfect world you'd have taken each other out yeah oh well (laughs) these things happen foiled again (laughs) john do you want to give us your next points yeah mine um is all to do with drugs and the druggy and the junkie um but there's a few points connected here i I loved the little touch that they had as Matt goes to um, track him down to sort of avenge Mrs. Cardenas. I loved the little touch that his current Daredevil suit is hidden underneath his dad's uh, gown from Mm. the boxing ring and and the gloves and all that. I just thought that was a really sweet little nod back to his dad and and all that. I thought that was superb. I then obviously the drugs in the in the the hellhole where the the drug guy where the drug abuser is uh, shooting up. All these drugs have all got again the the steel serpents there that links to Iron Fist mm-hmm. and and his nemesis Davos. And obviously then there's Madame Gao who we were saying could be Mother Crane. And mm-hmm. um, I also loved the little touch when. 
uh, Daredevil is there in um, in the room with the two uh, junkies, and he's just shot up. He looks up and sees this guy in a mask, and he bursts out laughing. I just love the idea that this this drug addict just is laughing his head off at Daredevil, who's taking himself so very seriously. He's like, he looks stupid. Like, <laughs> certainly through this haze of you know heroin and kind of thing. I just thought that was excellent. Or else um, he doesn't even think he's there at all. Yeah. Maybe yeah. he's like, God, this stuff is brilliant. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was just I thought it was a really nice little touch. Um, I mean. The only thing then that on this that slightly got to me, um, you know, he's asking um, this junkie, you know, whether he's paid by Fisk because he's beating down on him and so on. But he's been saying to Karen and Foggy and Uruk that Fisk would never put himself in that position where you know he wouldn't leave that to himself mm. to do. He he will only do that where it's hugely important, like we have seen when they talk to Hoffman, and actually later on in the episode where then he's coming to dispatch and get rid of this mass vigilante. But yeah. I found it odd that Matt Murdock underneath his mask would be saying, "Did Fisk pay you? You know, tell me his name." He he's he's almost this obsession now that the the vigilante has with Fisk is in the same way I think a bit like Karen's because when he's Matt Murdock the lawyer he's saying this guy is making sure he's untouchable yeah. I mean I love the connections are in the wind that Ulrich says I think it's a great little phrase uh, I just find it slightly at odds that he would be trying to get Fisk's name out of this low level junkie who was probably paid not even by James Wesley but four people removed from that mm. Um, the seven degrees of kingpin. Yeah, the six exa- degrees yeah, of kingpin. Exactly. Um, so that that was a slight sort of point that I thought just didn't fit with some of the other stuff. But I did like this whole um, going after the junkie. Again, it connects in with Iron Fist and, and um, that drug trade yeah. with Madame Gao, and the the symbol. Is there on all the packaging, and yeah. um, it's great. And we got our first montage in this episode where he uh, where he chases down three junkies, and it's all cut together <laughs> as a true. montage, which I was quite impressed with. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I'm going to come in on this. It's I think we're starting to see Matt lose control, mm-hmm. and that's where this is heading. Kingpin is coming into the light. Yeah. He is getting more and more structured and conniving. Mm-hmm. And becoming the puppet master. And more and more untouchable. Yeah, and Matt is becoming... You can see it. He's unraveling during these fights. Mm-hmm. He's losing his training. Stick said it to him. Like, you've lost your touch. Yeah. And you kind of... You, you've become... I think what did Stick say? Stick, you've become soft. Yeah, it's, it's you're, you're letting your emotions rule really you. Yes, yeah. and like that's... So, we're, I'd say... I don't... I hope not, but like if there's this massive fight scene at the end where... Matt's gone crazy and he's hulking out mm-hmm. and then it's like no no you must centre yourself and he flashes back to stick kind right. of going centre yourself and then he takes a deep breath and everything quiets and right. that would be horrible mm-hmm. but that's what it looks like it, we will get some part of that or some mm-hmm. way version of that cliche where you must you must let your you must not let your emotions rule you <laughs> to to take on someone this big yeah he needs to start getting back to the training and why how he's gotten to this point yeah. definitely yeah the state of him at the end of the episode like oh, he yeah. is beaten to bits like and mm-hmm. cut 
really deeply. You can see like the wounds are really serious. Oh, weren't they? Yeah. You're going, and that's because he went, I'm going to kill you to Wilson Fisk. Like, yeah. Well, and obviously there was damage done before that, maybe. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Just yeah. a few scratches. <laughs> but like, it's, it's pretty bad and it is it's exactly that. It's because he's not focused and controlled. Yeah. yeah, and I love it links totally in with what Chris has just said that Stick kind of says you've become soft and emotional and that's exactly what Wilson Fisk uses to, to bait him and to capture him and to bring about this situation is his emotions that um, is what draws him out yeah. and at that sort of links in with what Stick is saying and you wonder if he starts to take this on board over the next few um, episodes maybe but um, I, I loved how it, it connected yeah. in with that that Stick recognised it and even Wilson Fisk sees that this guy is a vigilante it's been driven by pure uh, emotion um, and that's what gets him into trouble yeah yeah absolutely and this episode 10 is really slow and it's him training up foggy because he can't do it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. It's possible. Um, so, yeah, instead of the Billy Battens. <laughs> it's a baseball club. It's a baseball club. Swiss rolls. Swiss rolls. Mm, do you reckon there'll be chocolate or jam? I'd say leather. Yeah. Ooh, sting. <laughs> hey, uh, that's the yellow suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Chris, what's, um, what's your next point? Um, so, I'm going to talk about Ben. Mr. Ulrich, mm-hmm. not Ulrika. Ulrich. I know. I'm just going. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. I'm just doing it now to to, to wind people up. Um, that scene where Matt first meets him. Mm-hmm. My God, it was he overplays the blindness, even on the handshake. Uh-huh. He just like he sticks it out like yeah. a mile from him. Yeah. Straight away, I was like. Oh, you're trying to make him think that you're just completely blind and yep. really hammer that home. Yep. Because, yes, you met the man in the mask. Yeah. And all it would really take is Ben just putting up his hand slightly in front of his eyes mm. and go, oh, I know that jawline. He's so funny. He's like, that I is recognize a... you. <laughs> He's like shielding himself from the sun and goes, <laughs> Revelation, yeah. all of it. Absolutely. He had that same cut in his lower lip. <laughs> um, yeah, no, because this, this for me was um, Frank Miller's first story arc mm-hmm. on Daredevil was Mark for Death, mm-hmm. and in that, Ben becomes one of Matt Murdock's confidants yeah. with his secret identity as the Daredevil. Yeah, we know they play heavily on Frank Miller's material in mm-hmm. this in the in the pretty much everything Frank Miller is wrote in the last kind of 20 years mm-hmm. is so uh, has been teased at or slightly pulled in mm-hmm. I'm thinking okay what they're probably going to do is Ben will figure it out or will pretend in when they meet he meets the man in the mask again yeah. and he'll literally go at the very end of this long conversation go isn't that right Matt right. kind of like <gasps> Yeah. Oh my god! My secret identity. Possibly, possibly and I, I do understand the point. But you know, Ben Oric is an investigative journalist. If there's anybody that's going to find out the identity, if Ben wants to know, he'll find out who this guy is. Definitely. But it's a fundamental part of the cover for the for the superhero Daredevil that the reason why people go it can't possibly be Matt Murdock is that he's blind. And That's falls the fun- down manholes. Yeah, but it's it's the fundamental cover that he has that no other superhero has. You know, Superman puts on a pair of glasses, Batman takes off the cape and the cowl. That's it. That's their cover. 
Thor Matt's... takes the skirt off and like puts his hair in a ponytail. Yeah. Puts on the hoodie that was yeah. really bizarre in yeah. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But for Matt, it's that everybody goes, well, he's a blind guy. It's what the attitude of people who are looking at Matt Murdock are thinking. So it's it's his fundamental cover, and I think that's what they're playing with in the episode. More than anything else, I think that's what they're playing with in the episode. I, I don't know. I, I, I really think this, if you think Ben can become the overall investigative element mm-hmm. of Matt's vigilantism. Mm-hmm. Because Matt, is, Matt, Matt is smart, yeah. but he basically beats guys down to get information. Absolutely, yeah. Um, <laughs> and that is not what Daredevil will need to to take down the Kingpin Mm -hmm. will need to go further and I think that's I'm hoping that they they actually will go down this mark for death route Uh which is Ben comes mark for death Daredevil saves him gets his ass whooped in the process Mm -hmm. and learns Matt's identity and they became they became kind of partners in crime one looking at going after the Kingpin from the financial political mm-hmm. version, and Matt taking him down from legal, and Daredevil taking him uh, down at night, and all his kind of drugs and gangs and etc. Yeah. I think it'd be really good because yeah. then, don't forget, we've we've questioned a lot why Ben is consistently pushing uh, or allowing Karen to go down this route, mm. even when he kind of has said, "Oh, I know your bad past," and then he's like, "Got okay, foggy in and." He didn't even go, okay, now you're bringing someone else into my, our secret fold. Yeah. Um, and the, in theory, that he's now seen a fourth person come in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Their cabal is growing, right. their secret cabal. He, It would explain, he would be able to then, Matt can go, look, kibosh the whole thing with Karen Foggy, mm-hmm. and you and me will take it down, and you will get to write the stories. Interesting. And, and one interesting point about that is that there's a bit of a parallel between that storyline and Foggy Nelson in the end of this episode. So Foggy's actually found Matt Murdock beaten down in his home. So potentially it may they may use Mark for Death as a as a touch point for the story and but it could possibly oh, be Foggy. Foggy, yeah. Um, I didn't think of that. Yeah, no interesting. No, interesting that you brought it up. Thanks, Chris. That's, That's what I'm it's here a good for. Point. It's a good point. Chocolate Easter eggs. <laughs> So Derek, what's your uh, next point? Uh, another tiny point, but I just liked it. It's in the scene that you were speaking about with uh, with Ben Oric and uh, and Foggy and Karen when Karen starts to talk about Daredevil and how much she she respects him and what he does and how uh, and his fighting style. You definitely got to meet the guy. He's a guy that's uh, he's a guy that's obviously very honourable. Is the kind of discussion that she has, and it's Matt's reaction to that where he's where he has a nice. Broad smile suddenly appears on Matt's face. It's a smirk. It's a nice. It's a nice little moment when Matt Matt finally feels a little bit of validation for what he's doing. He doesn't get very many compliments for what he's been doing. He got a little bit from Claire Temple a couple episodes ago, where he heard some of the stories that were getting spread around Hell's Kitchen about how good a character he is and a good a how good a helper he is for for Hell's Kitchen. And now he's getting a little bit from Karen that she respects him and she's really happy with having him as a real protector. And defending him in front of Foggy and defending him in front of Ben, which I thought was a nice little moment for Matt. I actually had I had that written down as well yeah. that she called him a badass, and he's just like yeah. delighted. Nice, <laughs> like, nice. Yeah. I'm cool. <laughs> that was my one. Back to Aaron. Kind of going to keep going with that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Karen. It was kind of not in the whole episode, or, but in when it's just her and Matt speaking in the office, mm-hmm. she's very eager for information and it was really really obvious the way she went so how, how did you get on with Vanessa yeah 
yeah, yeah. What happened with Vanessa? She's not very subtle. <laughs> not very subtle at all. <laughs> yeah. He her... doesn't need to be a human lie detector for that one. No. Yeah. But he did, he obviously didn't react or anything. He didn't say, you know, he just kind of said, oh, yeah, yeah, it was, uh, it's okay. Like, didn't you know, get what I needed. Didn't get what I needed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I was wondering why they did that. Like, her and Foggy are definitely gone then. Like, there's nothing happening there after their little date, nearly date. Um... I thought there was still nearly like it should be leading on. I kind of, you know, thought they'll get they'll get there. They'll bring it up again. Uh-huh. But then why is she doing that? Yeah, it seems to really definitely obvious. reignite this idea that she's got, well, not even a crush on the mass vigilante, but actually on oh, Matt, Matt above yeah. Foggy. Um, yet they've not really had those kind of interactions. But yeah, it, it was slightly confusing. But um, I don't know. Um, I still hold out a bit of hope for. For Foggy and Karen, but I think within the lore of the comics, I think it's definitely more uh, a nod and a, and a wink and a and a loving gaze towards Matt Murdock. Really? I reckon. Mm-hmm. I think so. Okay. I, I'm calling it. I'm calling Farron is dead. Farron? The, the, the Farron. The Farron couple is dead. Or Coggy. Or Coggy. <laughs> um, yeah, I just think it's going to be. Uh, it was nice. It's going to be a very the tri the love triangle element, mm-hmm. the cliche that a lot of um, a lot of a lot of TV shows use. Uh, I don't. I don't think it would have worked. Mm-hmm. Now, did they have the right setup to move her from one love interest to another? Nope. They just basically went. Oh, she thinks Matt's hot. Uh-huh. Okay, there you go. That pe- the people. There you go. That's all you're getting. Yeah. She's over. She's over foggy now, and she's on to Matt. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I, I'm. I'm fascinated this episode definitely about how much we're all seeing different things in the in the show. I. <laughs> I totally thought that as her excitement to find out whether he had any information and gained any information on the case that she's investigating because she thinks of herself as a private investigator now. She's investigating Wilson Fisk and has been doing it now for three episodes I suppose at this stage where she's digging really really deep she sends Matt off on a mission to basically find more information out about Wilson Fisk he comes back and tells her nothing he didn't and then think she... nothing when she said the way she said Vanessa no no, no. and I thought and I just thought it was just she was excitedly trying to get to the get to the reveal that they had actually found some information about Maybe. about Wilson Fisk and that and the final little reveal which was that they have finally got a plaque for the front door which I thought oh, was yeah. a, so it was something that she it's was really waiting small. excitedly to say but uh, that, that so was it doesn't matter. So, John, do you want to give us your last point? Yeah, the fighting, basically. Um, I thought, oh, yeah. great opening between this, you know, mass ninja in red and Matt Murdock. I loved then that it was interwoven throughout the course of the whole um, episode mm-hmm. and that you got different little snippets at different points. You get the reveal of that it's Nobu um that he's actually taking it upon himself to dispatch of uh, the vigilante Daredevil. Um, I love then, I had an ouch moment, and I've not had one of those um, for a while now. I think the last one was, st- well, actually, that's the last episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm talking nonsense there. Well, but I had the longer. ouch moment yeah. where the, the, the knife, or the dagger, the hook dagger on a chain, which I don't even know what that's called, but is an implement of torture. Mm-hmm. Um, when he was dragged across the floor with the hook bit caught in his side, I mean, I was just like, Ooh, oh, 
was why just... don't we do a video podcast? Yeah. Everybody here is cringing at John's description. <laughs> it was just like that that kind of meat hook thing. Oh, it was oh. so awful. Like, um, and then you have the big twists at the end with Fisk and Wesley walking in, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously Nobu getting on fire, and that, in a sense, that was a great outcome for Fisk as well. So. I just thought that was really good, and the big thing is seeing um, Fisk beat down on oh, Matt yeah. Murdock. I was just like, that is awesome. I, it was just he it was that moment where the cameras just got him sort of hitting with both Hulk fists. Smash. And, smash. Yeah, and to mm-hmm. me, it, it, it almost, in a sense, I saw the the kid actually in 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 that shot. Um, it was the young Wilson Fisk almost yeah. hitting down just repeatedly hitting um, in a way like his dad was telling him previously to keep kicking him, keep kicking him, keep kicking him. Yeah. And it was brilliant. I definitely, um, I definitely saw that as well, and I almost expected in a lesser show they probably would have done that, would have had, not even a flashback, but they possibly would have had Wilson Fisk saying keep kicking him or something like that. Yeah. In a lesser show they would have done that. I'm voice. so happy they didn't. But, um, but yeah. He implied. Yeah, it is. It yeah. is. But seeing Fisk in action... Whether it's using car doors or whether it is using um, just his own fist, I mean, he he is a good fighter as well. He obviously packs a punch. I thought this was fantastic. I I completely agree. I actually didn't see the keep kicking. I saw the 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 iconic white suited mm-hmm. kingpin from the comics doing his Hulk smash, two fisted blows at Spider Man at Daredevil. Yeah. Kind of that was his it's like a signature move. Mm-hmm. He he smashes things with his raw force. Um but yeah, no, in terms of that Kingpin scene, yeah, that was fantastic. For me, if you think about it, imagine that fight scene edited into one. That would have been another one of our one shot. Yeah. Kind of like wow. Twenty five yeah. minutes of the episode, right? Yeah. yeah. Like that would have been a twenty five minute Fight scene that you were like, oh wow, oh ah, oh oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh my god, look at that flip. Oh my god, it just cut into a side. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like it had, and I now see why they cut it in the way they did. Okay, mm-hmm. a for story kind of progression, yeah. but also more. That was a very brutal prop. That's a fight scene like that. But that wasn't a kind of made for TV or made for Netflix fighting. That was that's what would happen if you kind of were spinning. A, a chain with a large blade on it, and yeah. ripping into a guy's back. Yeah, it reminded me of um of the scene with Gogo Yabara and the Bride in Kill Bill Volume One, where um she's essentially sending a slicing disc at uh, at the Bride constantly. Uma Thurman, if you yeah. if you haven't seen the film, um, but yeah, where she's constantly sending a, a battering ram with a blade on it over and over again and cutting pieces off uh, off the Bride. Um, essentially, that's a an R-rated film or an 18s-rated film. Um, pretty brutal Quentin Tarantino movie, and we've just gotten a scene like that in, you know, a 15s-rated TV show on Netflix. You know, that's what it felt like to me. I was watching it going, I can't believe they they keep getting away with. Yes, we've had brutal fight scenes before, but this looks like pieces of the actor's body are being cut off by a blade. It doesn't look like, um, like special effects. It's it looks very brutal and looks very, uh, very well done. The uh, there was one particular shot where he gets whipped and we see you actually if you I kind of slowed it down because I wanted to see mm-hmm. how they did it I don't know but uh, Matt's shoulder mm-hmm. the the blade slices his shoulder yeah. and it cuts through and it actually 
if you slow it down, you see for somehow they they opened. Obviously, it was prosthetics of some kind. Yeah. But the shirt opened, and then his skin opens mm-hmm. as the blade kind of. Whoosh, Amazing. And yeah. I was like. That doesn't look CGI to me yeah. because it, oh, CGI, it was a bit too much movement. They would have literally do like frame by frame by mm-hmm. frame, yeah. and they could have. Yeah. But for me, it was just wow. That was like that's what would happen with these razor sharp. Absolutely. And well, maybe it, they just paid Charity Cox a lot of money and really did that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we won't actually kill you, but you'll be you might be in hospital for a couple of weeks. Yeah. After we cover the cost. Yeah, um, <laughs> possibly. But no, the fighting really and um, uh, and Peter Shinkoda, man, that can guy fight absolutely. Yeah, like yeah, he yeah. really and surprisingly, okay, we know Charlie Cox can box. In the, we've seen a lot of this is Charlie Cox properly kicking, jumping, flipping. Mm-hmm. Um, well, taking punishment more. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, this was for me going okay. Now this is what Daredevil is to me. Daredevil is. Uh, man versus ninja mm-hmm. um, in a lot of stuff or man mm-hmm. versus gangster who was also a ninja um, <laughs> no it's um, it was just uh, this was what I wanted it was very much like if they had brought katana swords out and billy clubs versus katanas I would have still went oh amazing yeah. because this is the progression this is where we are heading for season 2 mm-hmm. um, and it was just well choreographed and I'd love to see uh, I couldn't find it the choreograph or um, of these, some of these fight scenes, whether it's the same guy, or whether it's a overarching, sorry, an overarching guy, or mm-hmm. just they've segmented because each fight scene, if you think about it, is quite unique mm-hmm. in this. Yeah, yeah, um, it is the same choreographer. Yeah, there's one choreographer for the show who's the lead choreographer. He's the same guy that's doing Deadpool for Marvel. Um, Ooh, yeah, wow. So, so if anybody is interested in Deadpool, which I know Chris is, yes, um, you'll be seeing some very similar types of fights for uh, for De- for that Deadpool film. That will make me very. And actually, I, I don't know uh, if, if our listeners have seen it, but there's um there's been some leaked um shots of the filming mm-hmm. so far, and actually that's there's a lot of flipping. Yeah. That in those leaked shots and the leaked videos from guys literally having their camera phones up right. as they were filming in. Canada, I believe, mm. um, yeah, on a motorway. Uh, but yes, that flip actually that makes a lot of sense. So there you go. So Thank uh, you. so Daredevil is not the last we'll see of this awesome action. Um, one of the elements that I really liked from the fight uh, itself was that it's Nobu versus uh, versus Matt, and it starts off as I mentioned earlier on. It starts off with Nobu saying, "You know our ways. You know how to find us. Stick has taught you well." Um, and then they talk about respect as part of the fight. Uh, Matt says, "You need to earn my respect." Um, I don't respect automatically. Um, and Nobu, before he is about to kill Matt, says that he's earned his respect. You are an amazing fighter. It will be a shame that I have to that I have to do this to you. And I think that's a, a fascinating moment throughout it. It's much more. It makes it feel much more like a Japanese yeah. uh, fight scene, a, Jap- a piece from a Japanese film, because that's absolutely how these fights normally go. It's normally about asserting respect between two major fighting characters, essentially between two houses. Um, which I just thought was a nice little touch throughout this fight. So Chris, what's your next thing you have to say for yourself? Well, on that accusatory note, and I'm going to stop with my Easter eggs, I swear, um, yet another Frank Miller Daredevil <laughs> Easter egg link back. Poor Christos Gage, he did write this episode, you do realise that he didn't, he didn't just take everything from Frank Miller and stick it on the screen. Well, actually, <laughs> well, hold on, then look, this is showing you how much I went, 
I, I, I've obviously for watching these, I, I've gone back into the Daredevil lore and mm-hmm. I've read a lot of my comics. Um, and uh, a good plug here, I have no affiliation with Marvel, <laughs> but uh, Marvel Unlimited, fantastic stuff up there. It is, it is. Uh, great great back issue kind of way, just jump back in through. Now, you don't get everything, but there's a lot of there's a lot up there. Tons. Um, anyway, Joseph Pike and Stuart Schmidt okay. were the two thugs yes. who uh, jumped Karen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pike is a well-known, low-rent, um, kind of uh, low-rent hire thug right. from the comic books. Interesting. Uh, he's a criminal informant, um, and he has been basically in Josie's bar. Mm-hmm. He was actually he's known to be in Josie's bar in the comic books. Right. Um, and again, first showed up in Frank Miller, drawn by Frank Miller in Daredevil. I think 165 in the 1980s. Quite specific. Yeah, sorry. I think... <laughs> sorry, I did have that wrote, wrote yeah. down. Um, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't find Schmidt. There is right. there is a Schmidt, or there actually is a Stuart Schmidt, but he's in the Spider-Man um, kind of universe mm-hmm. uh, from Manhattan. Um, so I'd say that was just a kind of, oh, there's another thug guy. We'll bring him in. Yeah. But um, I like Joseph Pike. Joseph Pike does come on. He becomes a, another one of... Kingpin's go-to rent for hire thugs right. who gets his ass handed to him by Daredevil, but in this case, Foggy, mm-hmm. a lot. Right, interesting. Um, so yeah, that was just another one. I was like, I know Pike. Why Pike? And <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, I like I like how they're layering in some of the smaller characters into into the show. They're not just taking the big characters and and filling the city with anybody. They're they are taking characters from the comic books, definitely. Yeah, and yeah. I think this is again. This for me is just these are nods to fandom mm-hmm. um where they they could have just used chris jones mm-hmm. um like a random name you'd be so happy if i would if, I, if my name turns <laughs> up in a if my name turns up in daredevil i'd be like yes i'm in the mcu i'd say you would have been as, as excited as john was when he went to see uh when he went to see star trek into darkness and, oh, and benedict cumberbatch was playing john harrison he was so happy and then he became doctor strange and i think i fainted <laughs> <laughs> I, and i am a cumberbatch not a cumber bitch. <laughs> I am all about the cumber butchers. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. This for me, just they, they've, they're nodding to all of us who love the comic book lords. Yeah, I think we're gonna have some Z list people for Luke Cage. Some mm-hmm. Z list characters. Now these are Z list. They're, they're they're not fleshed out, but there's enough nods, and I think we're gonna get that Jessica Jones. I think Absolutely. we're gonna get that. Like I'm fully expecting when we see Luke Cage, there will be guys from the Avengers past. Mm-hmm. Um, Luke Cage is one of the new Avengers, and when he's in that, we're gonna get some of those. Yeah. And I think this is just nice nods, but also they by adding enough of these guys in, you can slip in other bigger characters. Yeah. They could have Melvin Potter come back in. Mm-hmm. He's just been like, yes, we found the Easter egg and we saw Love It, the Stilt Man. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But they could actually have him come in in season two and no one would be the wiser. And they'd all go back to season one and go, oh, now right. I get it. Right. But... That's why I'm starting to really enjoy these little nods to the, the fans. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, what else will they do? Yeah. we still got four episodes left. Um, 
what else can be in there? I know, I know. And that's kind of got me excited. And we will definitely see Melvin Potter again after uh, after that little attack that, that, that Matt pulled on uh, on Kingpin and cut his suit open. Yeah, yeah, Wilson needs a new suit. Yes, he does. He so does. Derek, what's your final point? My final point was something that particularly stood out to me in this episode with Matt. Um, Matt struggles this entire episode about what he's doing. Um, he's struggling the whole time about whether he is going to put back on the Daredevil outfit, it feels like it feels like he's struggling as to whether he's going to go back out. And um, the scene when he goes into his into his room to take out his the box that has his, his father's boxing gloves again, uh, and underneath is his is his suit. There's a great moment there from uh, from Matt where it looks like he's go where he's questioning himself: should he be going out, uh, doing what he's doing again? And um, it's like as if he hits the it's like as if he touches his father's gown and realizes it says on it battling. Uh, battling Jack Murdoch, it's like that moment where he's going, am I now just battling Matt Murdoch, the character that doesn't know when he's beaten, that doesn't know when to give up, and am I going to give up, is my life going to be gone because I can't give up the fight against Wilson Fisk? There's a real nice struggling moment with him, and I just wondered if anybody else had noticed that in that scene, that that, uh, he really seems to be struggling with going back out in the street again. I actually took something else from that. All right. One, that it was a completely terrible hiding place. (laughs) <laughs> he basically has a locked cupboard and he has just in this locked cupboard a trunk mm-hmm. and then it's just a boxing gloves and the thing and the yeah. trunk's about like a meter big and you're like hmm you may actually like people may guess what like there's a secret compartment there's something in here yes. there's something in here yeah. it's like he has crown jewels like no anyway um, seriously though I took it as when he, he got down and he blessed himself right when he was so, it's like this is the I took it more of a ritual uh-huh. that he's like kind of the, taking the Christian on, bless me, Father, for I for I am about to sin. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it's like, Dad, I'm doing this to avenge your part as well. Mm-hmm. That that was the hand, as you said, the kind of pause. Yeah. And then it's lift up the secret compartment, not so secret, and see all his kind of like five shirts, five masks. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's actually getting bigger. Did you know, like, have you noticed, like, he seems to have, like, he, the sticks were in there now yeah. and he has the leg, the the leg brace to stick his billy clubs in. Mm-hmm. So, the yeah, the, we talked about the evolving suit. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I took it more like of a, a very much a ritual, a, a ritual kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no, I can see where you're coming from as yeah. well, though. And actually, that does make a lot of sense as yeah. well. Yeah. And he is struggling through the whole episode. Like yeah, he, he obviously it's going on in his mind the whole time, and then he's speaking to the priest, and so yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I think his discussions with Karen and with Foggy have are starting to inform him a little bit. Like yes, he is going out and he is beating up the bad guys in the street to get it work his way to Wilson Fisk, but he's also constantly telling the other two characters to stop doing things like that, stop yeah. putting themselves in danger. Why is Matt putting himself in danger? He must be questioning it at some point. He must be kind of going. Maybe I should stop doing this. Maybe I should just work in a law firm and go in every day and defend people, people that way. Maybe that's what I should be doing here. Why am I going out and getting myself cut up and beaten every day? And um, so it, that's I, I presume that's the reason why he went to see uh, Father Lapham. I presume that's the reason why he's why he's having these discussions with him as well. Oh, yeah, also, yeah. To, also because he's questioning himself. But I thought that was a particularly good scene for, for Matt. Well, I think with that we have probably uh, come to all our the end of all of our five points so mm-hmm. does anyone have any other little tidbits or notes on this episode small little bit at the end do you think foggy knows now or do you think matt's just gonna 
knock him out and pretend it didn't happen <laughs> or do you think he is going to train him up and he's going to be there I was just going next episode like yeah, but no, couldn't do that. Couldn't yeah. do that. We, we can't do. We can't do that to our audience. Yeah. I, I was actually, you know, imagine there was a Wayne's World moment. Knocks him out and goes, diddly, 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 diddly. It was all a dream. <laughs> diddly, diddly, yeah. diddly. I know it's quite a huge moment. Isn't it's it? a, a huge drunk. moment, <laughs> which we bizarrely have put into our notes section. It's not. We've not called that big moment out, which is. But this episode was so jam packed with yeah. stuff. Yeah. I mean, there was loads of stuff. Um, as you can see by our uh, hour plus running time at the moment, like mm-hmm. it's really, really um, oh, big episodes. So yeah. I think the Daredevil showrunners, um, Stephen, has done something very well with this, and each director does it well, mm-hmm. which is there's nearly been a cliffhanger of some element in every they they've got the Netflix format down absolutely. In that we, you want to you unless you're doing the podcast. Uh, you can't, like like us, and you have to watch, record, watch, record. Yeah, I'm sorry. sorry. Yeah. Evil. <laughs> you want to, like, it is like that, that 16 seconds of autoplay. You're like, oh my God, I'm about to. No. No, <laughs> no I love that because even just the next episode is Nelson versus Murdoch. Mm-hmm. And it's that cliffhanger of. Because Foggy has literally been anti the man in the black mask since all the bombings throughout Hell's Kitchen and now he's confronted with him and it's his best friend. It's yeah. his partner in the law firm. And it was just like, I want to go on to episode 10. I, I want to but go I think, on to I episode think 10. That possibly might be the only way that Foggy could win a fight with Matt. If Matt is <laughs> on the ground already dying, yeah. basically. I did like the little touch in Short the scene. Short episode. <laughs> I did like the little touch in the scene that all the, uh, all the damage that had happened in the fight with Stick is... All the it's way across there. the apartment, it's like the uh, foggy stands on the final, the last step, which is where Stick should have broken his back, really. Yeah. Um, but he, he thinks that that's what's caused Matt's injuries. I don't know how Matt's going to explain himself out of this. Absolutely, to, to your question, I mean, I really don't know how Matt's going to explain himself out of this. He, can't. he clearly he can't, is, no. yeah, he clearly is ha- going to have to say, "Well, I'm the mass vigilante." Um, but now he has to explain to his best friend that for the last ten years. He hasn't actually been totally blind. Um, He has been able to find his way around, and not only has he been able to do that, he's been able to beat the hell out of a lot of people in Hell's Kitchen. The world on fire! He's let him worry Mm. about him, like, things like, uh, you know, oh no, I will get home okay, and Foggy, he's let him do that though, you know, worry about him getting home okay and stuff, and he found his way home in this case, I think he's probably okay in any other case. Like, yeah. how did yeah, he yeah. actually get home? I don't know, but... Taxi. Halo. <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>, <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be... The, the, I think you're right. The next episode will be the portrayal. Mm-hmm. It's going to be... We'll, yeah, I think that we're going to... We might as well hold off. Yeah. And this is me being taking the no, kind we, of... No, we better, because I'm afraid we're going to look really silly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like... I secretly, like, Karen Stick comes, comes in and, and saves the day. Oh, no, I was thinking Stick comes in and knocks him on the back of the head. And goes, yeah, so <laughs> Foggy doesn't... Maybe yeah. he doesn't actually know. Because you were saying in the comics he doesn't know for ages. Yeah. So uh-huh. I can't help thinking this is too soon for him to find out. Mm-hmm. It's only episode this 10. This is so hard to me looking silly, so I'm going to stop yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> See, okay. I have one final note um, and that's to do with Hoffman and the connections in the wind Mm -hmm. and we hear Oryx talk about Hoffman and Tully and connections in the wind and they're completely off the radar but we then hear Wesley say that they don't know where Hoffman has gone that he was supposed to report back in um, to 
on the whole incident in, in the hospital room, uh, but their connections and contacts in the internal affairs don't know where he's gone. They didn't show up and he, he's gone sort of off-map, um, off-road. That's kind of interesting because I'm wondering, does he or will he pop up well, yeah. um, in some of the remaining episodes as, yeah. I've killed my best friend and... As Wesley had said previously, they go back before the academy, back mm-hmm. to childhood, and maybe he has his sort of guilt moment um, and gives something on Fisk and um, Wesley, really especially point. given that Fisk felt it important enough that he speak to Hoffman directly. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting to see that not only Uric but also Wesley and Fisk um, do not know where Hoffman's gone. He's mm-hmm. gone off road. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. I like Wesley's res- wet. Yeah, very interesting. I like Wesley's response to it, which is, uh, if he's in the city, we'll find him. And what if he's left the city? We'll find him. It'll just take a little longer, basically. <laughs> uh, really, really, really cool. Uh, last couple of points for me. A uh, couple of tiny notes. Um, one was just because you have to say it. It's a Marvel connected TV show. Foggy does specifically call out. Uh, I could call myself Captain America. But doesn't mean I have wings on my head, which is just a nice little, uh, <laughs> nice little reference. And this is what happens when you're looking at e- Easter eggs too deeply and uh, don't have enough knowledge about other stuff. Foggy turns to Matt at one point and goes, "Who are you, Shang Tzu? Yeah, of course I go off and look and Google for that, and then realize I know exactly who Shang Tzu is, and has nothing to do with Marvel. It's a much more famous character. It's the uh, the writer of the Art of War. Um, so <laughs> he was making reference to a non-Marvel character, just in case anybody else falls into that trap. Um, so sometimes." investigating easter eggs <laughs> lead you down really silly paths so, uh, I, I actually uh, yeah. did that too <laughs> i'm sorry to say I'll admit I, it. I'll, I, I just didn't want to admit it <laughs> i'll admit when i do silly things which explains why i got the reference things not to do with comic there you go yeah exactly um so with that irene do you defend this episode of daredevil i do i'm glad i'm kind of the cliffhanger wasn't just Foggy knocking at the door. Willie, won't he go in? Yeah. Like, will he just go home? And, like, he's drunk on it to be another, oh, I was looking for you last night. Will Matt be there? Will he be alive to say? Like, because he just jumped. So you're not really sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I definitely, I do defend it, but I just want to watch episode 10 now, please. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? Completely. Um, I, I, I've been... Negative on some um, of our previous episodes in that um, I thought they were starting to slow down and it was getting less and less. It, it was becoming slightly chorish right. in a good way. Um, I like doing some chores. Um, <laughs> I don't know which ones, but they don't, none springs to mind. Is that the dusting? Yes, perhaps. Um, as Jessica. As Jessica. I mean, on a Saturday. Um, With a hoover <laughs> and high heels. I told you, she doesn't have a costume. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, no, as I was saying, this was a really good episode. This brought it back to what this show is about. Mm-hmm. It has gangster, it has emotion, it has an amazing fight scene. It has layered Easter eggs. And, of course, it had... Ninjas! Yes! <laughs> it's like... What Uber, more, ninja. Uber ninjas, actually. <laughs> it was just like, this had uh-huh. everything. And I know it's going to be hard to follow, mm-hmm. but they left it with enough of a cliffhanger that you, you have to. Yeah. You you don't go, oh, I'll just wait a couple of days or a month. 
No, no, no. Unless you have someone like me telling you you have to. Yes. (laughs) So, but if you didn't, automatically you would go, right, next episode, I need to find out what happened. It was perfectly wrapped. It was well written. Mm -hmm. It was well choreographed. It was just... On that kiss, Derek, um, (laughs) do you defend this episode? Yes, I do. I think I revealed my hand a bit earlier on. Uh, It's full of ninjas. How can you not like it? This is possibly my favorite episode of the season, particularly about how the uh, how the fight scenes were split across the whole episode. It's about 25 minutes. The episode is a fight scene or would be if you put it all together. But having it all uh, spread across the episode was fantastic. The idea of Matt uh, struggling with being Daredevil or not, I thought was really well played. Um, yeah, and Peter Shikanda, how can you not want to watch him fight over and over again? I'm sorry that he was left in ashes at the end of this episode. But, or was he? Or was he? Mm. John, do you defend this episode of Daredevil? I certainly do defend uh, this episode of Daredevil, um, which is becoming a reoccurring theme, really. Mm. I, I'm kind of there going, will I not like an episode? And I'm going to give this four out of five bloody ninja-hooked knives on a chain. Um, <laughs> And to be honest, it's like I'm really rating this so high. I can't get enough um, of this, really. I think, yeah, there's the ninjas. Fantastic. The fight sequences are great. uh, Fisk and Wesley, as always, are just... I can't wait to see them on screen. I really liked how they introduced... um, Father Lantern and um, Matt Murdock's dynamic because I was kind of slightly worried by by that, but it it worked for me mm-hmm. really well. I thought Foggy was a bit more central in this and and was developed beyond giving the sort of maybe the one line humorous quips. And um, I thought it was really really good. And um, and then of course you've got sort of the twists within a twist where. You know, they bait Murdoch, um, or they bait Daredevil, I should say, but then there's also a nice sort of positive spin on that because Nobu's been taken out, and then they're going to take him out. So I, I loved all these different elements, and of yeah. course we actually get the meeting in person of uh, Matt and Wilson Fisk, and then Matt being uh, revealed um, by Foggy. Um, from underneath the mask. So I, I I loved all of these. This was a huge episode Absolutely. with a lot going on in it. Um, and again, I'm rating it really highly again. Um, this is a really good episode. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It may even be 4.5 out of 5 bloody uh, ninja hooked knives on, on a chain. But, uh, you know, it, it's really difficult to 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 know what to say or is it five out of five i don't know it's just it's a really good episode and mm-hmm. um, but all i know is that it's really high up there again i think we're all in agreement excellent episode um i think it's time to go on to some feedback that we've received in on the last couple of episodes we haven't had a chance to get to all of our feedback unfortunately over the last couple of episodes just because of the amount of time we've been we've been talking about uh, some of the ones but we wanted to make sure we got into our feedback this week uh irene do you want to give us our first piece of feedback First piece of feedback we got is an email into feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com from Billy Redmond. And he says, it's interesting, isn't it? I've watched this TV series all the way through till the end and found it fantastic. From the sound of things, so did you all. Yet being from the UK, I find myself only being able to be tangentially invested. I've actually been thinking about this for a while and was curious if you all had any thoughts on the matter. Why can't UK comics compete with the likes of Marvel and DC? I'd like to see more talent from this country going on to create these types of things, but perhaps it's difficult to go up against the amount of cash the American companies like DC and Marvel throw at it. 
let me make this clear. I'm in no way hating on Americans or any of their media properties. I'm just curious as to why we haven't seen organically grown UK companies and teams like Stan Lee and Steve Ditko or famous American authors like Frank Miller starting to compete with the American properties. Mm -hmm. Interesting points. Yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for the feedback, Billy. Uh, interesting points that he makes. Definitely. Um, we do have a huge comic book industry in the UK, but a lot of those authors and writers uh, have gone on to work for Marvel and DC. People like um, like Neil Gaiman, um, hugely involved in American comics. Uh, Mark, Alan Moore. Alan Moore, Mark Miller. Uh, there was a whole British invasion throughout the 80s that brought huge sensibility of British comics to American uh, comic book companies like Marvel and DC. Um, but there hasn't been the same success for startups in the UK. There is a lot of independent comics in the UK, companies like 2000 AD, which the Judge Dredd films were based on. Um, but they haven't had the same success as, as in the US. Uh, my own personal feeling on it is, Comic books are so center to to American culture now. They're almost like the uh, the myths and legends that uh, that are around from Roman times and from um, and from Greek mythology. Uh, that's almost what comics have become in the U.S. They've become really central to people's ideas and people's people's stories, which we don't really have in the U.K. We have TV, like like BBC, is hugely central to people's culture in the UK. So you don't have comic books at the center. Most people do read American comics. It's easy to get your hands on them. So um, so it's quite difficult going up against the money that's that's involved in them. Yeah. yeah, I think some of the comics as well, they they treat or they deal with things differently. Like It's like you're saying about the myths and so on. But if you think of, like say, Captain America, even mm -hmm. Superman, that they're, they're drawn from um, sort of World War Two to an extent um, and uh, America... Uh, sort of the media and it was a way of sort of um, promoting the country I suppose in the UK you know is it Dan Dare and all those kind yeah. of things and it's a different way or even uh, Red of the Rovers I think is it or something with all centred around football Roy of the Rovers no, Roy of the Rovers sorry all centred around football as you can tell I didn't read that comic <laughs> um, then you have the satirical stuff like Viz and um, like I remember reading Oink as a kid thinking that this was hugely adult um, for a, a kid's comic strip <laughs> but um, you know kind of crude satirical um, look at um politics but also just society you have um other comics as well dennis the menace yeah dennis the menace and um, dandy and i can't imagine at all them coming onto the the the, the big screen yeah. or the small screen but or the international market even or the international market yeah. but the ones that have are like judge dread as you said with 2000 ad mm -hmm. that is a, a different kind of property that i think does link into how American comics have developed and evolved over the years. That's Strontium true. Dog is another good one from 2000 AD, which I really liked. Mm -hmm. But Dennis the Menace was turned into an American movie. That's right. But they changed the they changed the character obviously, and he doesn't have a dog called Nasher that's like really human. Yeah. Like, but they but they they did try. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm yeah. Think they I had to change it though. They changed it for the market. Quite, so I suppose that. Makes, yeah, quite yeah. considerably. Yeah. And I had kind of blotted that out of my um, <laughs> mind I think but then I remember loving Captain Scarlet as well mm -hmm. like it, no it's not a comic book but it, and it, it's puppets like yeah. Um, Thunderbirds yeah like Thunderbirds but Captain Scarlet to me and the Mysterons is still one of my absolute favourite um, shows mm. I loved it but to me that has a comic book sensor sensibility about it but I don't think it was ever um, a full time uh, comic I agree. We, in the UK and Ireland, export mm -hmm. to the likes of Marvel and DC. Will Sliney, yeah. who is now 
huge. He's worldwide fame. Mm-hmm. He he was a cork born um, artist. Mm-hmm. He did a lot of um, a lot of uh, I think the Legend of Cullen. Yeah, a lot of um, Irish comics. Comics yeah. O'Brien comics. Yeah, um, quite small. Um, well known in Ireland, he then went on to Image, mm-hmm. did a lot, did a huge run on the Image, went into Marvel as an artist, and now he's been given his, he's reimagining Spider Man twenty ninety nine. That's right, yeah. Um, and taking whole control of that, and he, I think he, he got his one of his breaks on the Defenders mm-hmm. yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but then I think we're also forgetting that look at Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. We, oh. as the UK and Ireland, mm-hmm. we export certain different themes mm-hmm. um so doctor who has taken world the world by storm mm-hmm. uh, as by when we saw the last series they did a world tour for the new doctor and right. his companion and you saw how many people it, doctor who gets huge acclaim and viewing numbers in mm-hmm. bbc worldwide bbc america in the us um they have comic book ranges books Absolutely. the whole shebang I think that's what is different. 2000 AD comics, they did Conan the Barbarian, um, and then they moved it. Red Sonia's came out of that. Really? Um, she was brought into the original film and then got her own spin-off film right, right. Um, from that. Brigitte Nelson. Yeah. I remember yeah. that. Um, and I think that's the thing. We Terrible film. Anyway. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> it was like Lady Hawk. Uh, don't criticize <laughs> Lady Hawk. Anywho. Um, but I'll just think I'll finish with just saying our sensibilities are now are starting to uh, uh, permeate into the Marvel and mm-hmm. DC universe. And a lot of our best writers and artists are going in there and taking over or taking over or reimagining some of the, the, the sensibilities. Yeah. But as you said, it comes down to mythos. It comes down to mm-hmm. the, the Superman... The, the Apollo, the Greek god, we always need that. And the world will not recognise and r- kind of resonate with an Irish-born superhero mm-hmm. that talks about the Irish, like, 1916 Rising. Yeah. It's just not a well-known fact. I think, unless it's published by Marvel and DC and has their sensibility and is pushed by them. Um, I, Maybe. I definitely don't want to lessen the impact that uh, that Mark Miller has had on the comic book industry. He does write his own comics. They are produced by, by his company, Miller World. And also, they've led to hugely successful film, films such as Kick-Ass, Kick-Ass 2. Kingsman just came out this year, was successful enough to also get a sequel. Mark Miller's doing hu- making huge waves in the comic industry. But the one huge thing that, that we're kind of dancing around is even the best-selling comic only sells about 100,000 copies. Yeah. Um, Star Wars this year, Star Wars number one this year, sold a million copies. That's the highest-selling comic book in years, like in a long, long time. Um, but for the majority, there isn't actually a huge market out there for comic books. People are stopping reading them. There's so so much available in so many other media now you, with things like Netflix, with the movies. You know, There is so much comic book stuff that's going around that actually setting up a comic book company and selling enough to keep that company running it's quite a huge proposition, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason Disney bought Marvel. Yeah. There's yeah. a reason Marvel nearly collapsed back mm-hmm. in the day. Yeah. There's a reason that we every year get DC close to going broke. Mm-hmm. Some kind of story. Yeah. It is everything is going online. And this is why we're seeing these larger companies doing the digital, the streaming versions of their shows, uh, of their comics, I should say, or their their the overall because I think what we're going to end up having is more and more we're going to end up getting these Netflix versions of comic books mm-hmm. where they release 
13 issues back to back in one go and people can binge read as they want yeah. I would I love reading comics I have for years but I'm even finding myself now going for that I need a graphic novel yeah. because I don't want to wait four weeks yeah. to see what just happened next I know I know I'm definitely down to the level of reading uh, there's only three books that I read regular issues as they come out it's Saga uh, Walking Dead and uh, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. obviously because I'm a S.H.I.E.L.D. fan Um but that's that's all I'll read, and generally it'll be once every six months I'll pick up a, a, a combined book. Now that's that's the way I'll go. I'm off. I'm off buying every single comic that comes out in the comic book shop now. But excellent feedback, Billy, and hopefully uh, hopefully you enjoyed the discussion that we had on the back of that, and hopefully you you understand our position on it. Um, John, do you want to give us your next bit of feedback? Yeah, no, a second piece of uh, feedback from Rose, who says hello, vigilantes, um, and she has a huge amount of um, information here. Um, and she was saying that from episode seven, one of the um, big Avengers references that she caught from Mrs. Cardenas um, is that there were no subtitles at this point when she was speaking um, in Spanish, but that uh, it translated as the sky is falling once again. So obviously hinting back to um, the first Avengers movie, um, which was, a really interesting uh, catch there. So thank you so much for that, Rose. On the episode of Stick, she just is like, oh my God, how can you love and hate him so much at the same time? And she says the casting is just amazing. The fact that we have Scott Glenn from Silence of the Lambs there is just um, a, a great little nod. Um, again, that's one of her favourite movies. I know we had discussed uh, about that as mm-hmm. well. Um, and then so many hand and electro references that really got her excited here um, and they were hoping that they do use more of it and obviously we saw the um in our chat today on episode nine about um obviously the hands and nobu and the ninjas mm-hmm. and all that starting to come in um, and she's really says she just can't wait to see how marvel will deal with all these different elements um coming in or have the potential to come into season two, or to be on the defenders, um, and that having all these realistic portraits of superheroes or street level heroes, but at the same time introducing these elements of gods, magicians, and um, extraterrestrials or inhumans as well, um, that this is really, really um, a, a good thing that's starting to to come out and be built within um, this whole. Um, whole uh sort of series of, of shows so um yeah really some excellent uh bits of uh of positive information and feedback here from rose and it, it's great to see because um it is i think they're doing a really good job of connecting all these different elements of the marvel universe and um, whether it's to the movies whether it's to um agents of shield or giving us little tidbits um, for maybe what's to come within these Marvel uh, Netflix uh, shows. Yeah, excellent. Thanks very much for the feedback, Rose, as always. Really good to hear from you. Um, Rose sent in feedback to the website on Defenders TV Podcast. Yeah, so remember you, remember you can also send in comments directly uh, to the website at www.defenderstvpodcast.com. Chris, do you want to give us our final piece of feedback for this episode? Yep. So we got a piece of feedback via Twitter from Stephanie uh, at Crafty Cranky. Ori, episode eight recap. We first met Eric talking to an old mobster who says there's a new Hong Kong player, Rigoletto, retired in pieces. Mm-hmm. Fantastic bit because we were wondering 
and I actually completely forgot about that actual scene and the, that specific point yeah. with that we were wondering how and Rigoletto hadn't been shown and that we this was back obviously when we, we were trying to figure out how um, the Kingpin, Wilson Fisk, had in the comic books he was grown and groomed by Rigoletto. Mm-hmm. So we now know that someone has retired Rigoletto into pieces and the Hong Kong player... Madam Gao, and we're assuming potentially that's who this is talking about. That's right, um, yeah. The old mobster said he was leaving the town. He was leaving, uh, leaving Hell's Kitchen and getting out and uh, telling Benoric this was the reason. Uh, it was because poor Rigoletto got cut up into pieces. Yeah, Interesting. Thanks very much for that feedback, Stephanie. Um, if, you, if you see anything that we're missing in any of our episodes, you can obviously contact us on uh, DefendersCast on Twitter. You can send your feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com or contact us through our, through our Facebook account at Defenders TV podcast. So thanks as always for listening. We'll be back on Thursday with episode 10 of Daredevil. Thanks so much for listening to this one. Thanks very much, everybody. Talk to you next time. Talk at you next time. <laughs> Defenders assemble. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. We don't get a chance to talk. Take care of yourself. <laughs>